Welcome to the Compliance Time, AML and Financial Crime Podcast. Here, you can learn from compliance experts, enthusiasts and creators who are contributing to the fast-moving and dynamic field of financial compliance. Hello everyone and welcome to Compliance Time. October is Cybercrime Awareness Month and to take part in it, we recorded not one, but two cybercrime episodes. In this episode, guest is Corey White, the CEO and co-founder of Cyvatar. Corey White is a proven security industry veteran with more than 25 years of success building and implementing security strategies and leading consulting teams. His work encompasses virtually every industry, including government, high-tech, hospitality, critical infrastructure, finance, healthcare, and manufacturing. Cyvatar was founded in 2019 in response to the lack of remediation in the cybersecurity industry. Corey incorporated the industry's first membership-based cybersecurity as a service model as a commitment to the ever-changing security needs of companies. Without further ado, let's hear from Corey. Hello, Corey, and welcome to Compliance Time. Um, I'm very happy to host our discussion and to hear more about cybersecurity and its connection with financial crime. But before that, tell us, please, your prior experience and what do you currently do? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I um, My prior experience is um, I've been in cybersecurity for 25 years, believe it or not. Um, and, and so I've done, you, you name it, I've done it. I uh, started out doing a lot of implementations, installing and building perimeter networks. Uh, then I started doing assessments, uh, security assessments and penetration testing. And then I started doing incident response once companies started getting hacked. And um, I, I continued that you know, for you know, the, the rest of my career, but in different capacities. Um, in 2004, I joined the team at Foundstone. They wrote the books, um, 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 Hacking Exposed books. And so I was teaching ultimate hacking classes literally all around the world. Um, I was doing penetration testing again all over the world and also doing incident response all over the world with Foundstone. Then we got acquired by McAfee. And it was very, very interesting because if a McAfee customer had an incident, then my global incident response team was going and responding to those incidents. And again, we did some of the largest incidents in the, in the world. You know, Operation Aurora, when um, the Google uh, you know, hacks were happening, when all the companies up in the Bay Area, about 30 of them got hacked, um, our team was first on the ground up there. Um, I've done the, the, the first uh, you know, Sony attack when Sony was attacked in 2011 by Anonymous globally. I ran that incident for five and a half months. I, um, I've um, you know, worked with, uh, been involved with HP Gary that hack also with Anonymous in 2011, where um, you know, a lot of their email data got exposed and put onto the internet. So that was, that was always interesting to see what was in that, that data is still on WikiLeaks to, to this day. And then in 2012, I joined a, a company called Silence as one of the founding executives uh, running the, the services team. Again, more incident response, more penetration testing. Now I um, implemented the, the product. I had an implementation team and built a managed service. And again, ultimately had a worldwide team of about 200 people uh, working for me there. Then we got acquired by BlackBerry in, in 2019. And after that, I spun out and I was like, well, what am I going to do next? You know, I'd been doing it by then 23 years or so. And I said, um, 
I don't want to go and do what everybody else is doing. So the cybersecurity industry is, is actually broken uh, because the number of attacks are increasing and you know, we've got more tools than ever. We aren't winning this battle. So I started a new company uh, called Cybertar. And so that's, that's where I'm at now. All right. And how do you chose cybersecurity? What, 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 what made you choose and start your career in cybersecurity? <laughs> Fantastic question. <laughs> um, and, and you're forcing me to date myself. Um, when I graduated from school back in 1995, cybersecurity didn't exist. <laughs> so um, I, I didn't choose it. I was actually consulting at uh, one of my, my clients here in Southern California. And then um, they said, we need a firewall. Corey, you know how the internet works and IP and everything else. Come put in this firewall. I was like, okay. And, and literally the Cisco PIX firewall had just come out and it was like 1.0. And so I had to figure out how to put a firewall in at a, a large global company. And, and from then I started doing all the security stuff and just kind of fell into it by luck, actually. I think this is uh, very common as well here with the financial crime professions that you fell in love with them by luck, by chance, because I also never suspected that I'll be working something like anti-money laundering or sanctions or anything like that. So um, I I guess we we were not prepared to have (laughs) such path, but suddenly once you find something that you like, it's really great. Um, so tell us a bit more then about um, your company, about Cyvatar. Uh, sure. What do you do? Well, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's pretty interesting. Before I tell you about my company, I'll, I'll, I'll explain the business model first. Um, what, what, like I said earlier, the cybersecurity industry is not really designed to stop the attacks that are happening. And, and what I mean by that is, if you, if you look at you know, what you have to do or what you would buy to secure a company, meaning you go out and you buy a product, many of these products aren't you know, preventative blocking type products. They're more of detection and response type products. What that means is, you know, taking the case of ransomware, means that it's not gonna stop the attack from happening. It'll send you an alert you know, while it's happening and the next thing you know, your systems are, are encrypted or it uh, will send you an alert that something bad is happening on one of your systems internally or even in the cloud. That's actually not helpful. So products by itself um, don't actually stop attacks, okay? You actually have to have the people process and technology on a continuous basis. So my background being a services guy for 23 years before I started this company, um, I, I realized and that's why I stopped being a, a services person and I've, I, I'm a recovering services person, as I say, I don't, um, don't do it anymore. I go into the 12-step program like an alcoholic. But at the end of the day, doing a yearly penetration test for a company, that's equivalent to me saying, I'm gonna brush my teeth you know, once, a, um, once a year and that's it. You can't do that. You know, you, and cybersecurity literally is about hygiene. You have to do it on a continuous basis. And when I say the business model of cybersecurity is broken, buying a one-time product once a year and not fully you know, getting into a blocking state um, isn't going to stop attacks. Doing a one-time pen test, penetration test, or um, security assessment or gap analysis, that's not going to fix anything because all you have is a list of vulnerabilities that you need to be fixing on a continuous basis. 
So that's inherently flawed. The last thing I'll say that is absolutely broken in the industry is these managed you know, security service providers, MSSPs. You would think that they would actually do all your security for you. But in reality, all they do is, again, send you alerts. Um, and so there's MDR and XDR, uh, managed detection and response, extended detection and response. So literally what they're doing is just um, send you alert when something bad happens. That's the equivalent of saying, I'm not going to lock my front door or the windows of my house. <clears throat> I'm just going to let people walk in. When somebody bad walks in, then I get an alert. And that's the detection. It's up to the company itself to respond and kick them out. These MSSPs don't even kick them out for you. So again, that's cybersecurity. Wait, that sounds pretty broken, right? Yeah, absolutely. Is there a proactive way to actually prevent attacks from happening? Fantastic question. So to tie you into you know, your previous question where you asked, what do we do? That's exactly what we do. We truly believe that um, you have to first you know, prevent and block attacks where you can. Um, and what, that, what we mean by that is if you let's talk ransomware specifically, if you actually want to stop ransomware and, and make a difference, ransomware first is a, a hack. So meaning the companies get hacked into first versus someone just dropping malware randomly on your system or you click on a phishing email. So once they, they get into your system and they become administrators, then at that point, they're going through, they're disabling backups. Okay, they are exfiltrating your company data or your financial data. Um, and on top of that, they um, have full domain access or root access into all of your systems. Then they go, in many cases, they're going to look and see how much money, whether it be a small company or a big company, and see how much money you have. Once they see how much money you have, then they're going to um, you know, craft their ransom note and, and look at your critical systems that are critical to your business operating and they're going to encrypt those. So let's just break this down. They have your data. And so when you come back and say, hey, you know, do you have our data? We don't even believe you actually have our data. Then they'll show you a sample. They're like, oh, is this your confidential data, your PII or PHI uh, or credit card data, whatever is critical to your company? And then you'll see it. And you're like, yes, that is. So they, they prove that they have your data, they've disabled your backups, and now you basically are screwed. You have to pay them. Um, and, and if you don't have good backups, you have to pay them. So uh, the premise of our company is let's prevent all that as much as we can. And there's some simple best practices that every single company should have. And I'll walk you through them really quickly. Number one, every company should have multi-factor authentication. OK, that means that there's something, you know, and something you have. So it could be uh, like a pass, your password and then you your phone, you get a text message to your phone or you have um, a, a um, you know, some type of SAML authentication. And there's a lot of products out there that, that do that, that allow you to have some built in multi-factor authentication so that if somebody steals your password, then that's not the only way to get into your systems. And you could see if somebody's attempting to get in because they, they only have, maybe they just have one factor. So that is very, very important for every single company and individual to have. So if you have a bank account, you need to have multi-factor authentication. Uh, stock accounts, anything that you do, have it enabled. All the way down to like your Gmail. 
I have it on everything that I, I use. So that's the first step. And the last thing I'll share about that is the hackers, they have your password. Just assume they have your password. You have no idea how many incidents I have done with very large companies that I use and I know the passwords have been exfiltrated. So they had my passwords. So, um, and if you use any derivative of the same password, then the hackers will figure that out. Don't think, oh, because I have a very complex password, it will not get cracked. <laughs> that is not true. Okay. <laughs> any questions yeah. on that? I got two more I'll go through as to how to stop. How do, how do they get the password? How do they do that? So um, a few things. Um, if, if they've already, uh, if they exploit the vulnerability or get onto one of your systems, they, they could crack your passwords. Um, the computing power is much faster nowadays. Um, a lot of times it's just a well-crafted spear phishing email because anybody you know, that is out there, well, most people out there, um, they post all kinds of stuff on social media. And so you could go on social media and say, oh, you were in New York last week and you did this. And it looks like something that you have done and it makes you click on it. So they say, oh, you stayed at this Marriott here and you forgot to. And here's your bill. Click here for your bill. Um, oh. And then they send you a link and that could be something malicious. OK, so there's so many ways that they can get your password because all of your information is on the Internet. Um, people post on LinkedIn all this information about what they're doing, what they have done. And so if I wanted to craft a, a, a really good spear phishing email, I will get it. I'll eventually trick you into giving me your password. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So we agree. Password one to three is not a good password and it should not be replicated. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's the first one to be cracked for sure. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, yes, you can go two. ahead and bother steps. Yeah. Two. So the second one. So um, goes back to the point where I said that these these ransomware attacks, they are hacks. We say ransomware like it's malware. It started out as malware, but it actually is they are hacking in first. So if you're getting hacked in first, think about this. I'll ask you, do, when you get these little pop-ups on whether it be your Mac or your iPhone recently um, that you have to upgrade, there's a new uh, version or a new security fix on it. Do you always upgrade that? I try to, yeah. Yeah, I know. You're, you're more aware than most, but most people don't, and most companies don't. And so depending on what that vulnerability is that needs to be patched, there's an exploit for it. And those exploits may give an attacker direct access onto your computer, okay? And it can just get a, you get a command prompt on the other end. I used to do this a lot when I was penetration testing. So um, we can scan computers on the internet, see what vulnerabilities they have associated with them. Once we see that, there are tools that we can use that's gonna automatically um, will launch an exploit and give us a command prompt and access to that computer remotely. So if you're not hatching, then you are probably screwed as an organization because it's literally that easy. The, the other one that ties into that, you know, patching is vulnerability scanning, knowing what vulnerabilities you have. So a lot of companies, I've seen this a lot in the last few years, they misconfigure their cloud, right? Their cloud, you know, whether it be AWS or G Suite or whatever, end up being 
absolutely exposed. Because think about it, back in the day, this used to be your internal network. Now it is all on the internet in the cloud. You don't have necessarily a firewall in front of that. So you got to get your configuration right. If somebody were to vulnerability scan and, and see, ah, okay, you have this misconfigured or these ports open to the internet, it is just open season. You're able to literally just sometimes log in. You have command prompts facing the internet. And if your password is one, two, three, <laughs> then it's really <laughs> easy to get into those systems. So scanning and patching are absolutely critical. A lot of companies haven't done it in the past, but I'm telling you now, the risk equation with ransomware has changed that. You really have to stay up to date on your patches and make sure your external facing IP addresses, internet facing IP addresses are fully locked down and, and not exposed to attack. Wow, that's, that's really interesting. And do you have some recent cases or examples of cyber crimes which were maybe not in the news or something that um, affected financial systems, um, some, something exciting to share with us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, I can share some anonymized cases uh, that have yeah, been absolutely. incidents before. Um, and it'll, I'll tie it into the third step here is, and this is what's uh, really, really mis, uh, misleading for, I guess, the, the um, buyers. When, when people have, say they have antivirus, they don't understand that that is a reactive technology. It is not designed to stop um, attacks. Um, there are a few solutions that, that we as a company use um, to uh, with our clients that is in full preventative blocking mode. But I'm going to break this down in two areas. So if you think about it, if you're using antivirus, it was created about 30 years ago. Okay. And it's just it's signature matching and that's all it is. Um, and, and they're just matching, you know, signatures or hashes on the back end. Um, so, what happens when you have those old antivirus is really easy for hackers to create some brand new malware and see, oh, you're using this legacy antivirus solution and easily bypass it. There is websites that can go and compare their malware against your, your, um, your antivirus um, product and say, ah, okay, I just bypassed it. Then they go and they attack you and your antivirus will never see it. So you have to have you know, a good next generation um, endpoint solution that you know, can actually see it and stop it. The other thing is people that even have the really good next generation antivirus solutions, they still use what we call detect and respond. So what I mean by that is they, 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 um, they'll get an alert that there's malware on a system but it won't actually block it from executing. And so again, that's, that's the equivalent of, yeah, I got an alert that some malicious criminal just walked into my house, but I could have blocked them from walking through the, door, the front door by just locking the front door or something. Um, we're not doing that as an industry. We're just getting alerts. So when you detect and respond, that's all you're getting. So you're not actually trying to stop the attack. You just want an alert when something bad happens. Um, and so that's why... A ransomware and all these attacks are just continually to increase because the the companies, the cybersecurity companies, and then also the the actual buyers of the cybersecurity um, products and services, they are not actually effectively trying to block the attack. They're more you know, more just alerting. So those are the really the three basic things. There's a few others you can do to stop uh, you know a, a ransomware type of attack, but you need those as a basic. And most companies don't have it. And they, if they do do it, they do it um, ad hoc. And they don't do it on a continuous basis. And that, again, leads them to an attack. So attack scenarios, you asked me to, to talk through um, what, what an attack looks like. 
I'll give one. It's probably about six, seven years ago. It was pretty interesting. It was actually a financial institution. And we uh, we got called in. They they realized that uh, someone was in their systems. They had uh, exfiltrated um, their financial data, their, their customer data. And they called us in. Um, we had two things going on. One, seeing where the, what systems they were on and what was uh, how they've gotten a foothold, so we could kick them out of the organization. Um, and then two, we were also doing forensics on some systems to see and to verify that they had exfiltrated um, the, all of their financial data. Um, and they, they had a ton of you know, credit cards and, and PIN numbers and all that. So uh, within a few hours, we were able to see evidence that they had actually, actually stolen all their credit card data uh, for all of their customers. And so the first thing we did, and if you guys are listening to this podcast, if your bank um, ever says, hey, we're asking you to reset your PIN for security reasons, mm-hmm. that may mean something has happened. <laughs> Not always, but it may mean something has happened. Because one of the first things we did is um, we reset the PINs for, for everyone um, and, and when, for all their, their customers. And what that did is, you know, even if they didn't have the credit card or they went to the ATM or whatever and tried to use it, you know, their pins have been reset. So they, it was really tough on the consumer, but at the end of the day, they, their money wasn't able to be stolen. Uh, we also were tracking transactions where before we actually did the reset of where, you know, the, the hackers were. And, and they had actually made fake cards really, really quickly and had gone to you know, multiple ATMs all over um, uh, North America at the time. So it was, and so ultimately by then, after a couple of days, we figured out what, how they gotten in, what was the back door, what fake accounts they had, what admin accounts they had access to. We reset all the passwords. We, we cleaned through their environment. We, we switched over to a locked and secured um, um, uh, kind of new systems that we built because the other ones were already compromised. And so we planned that cut over um, a few days after um, we, we came in and got them back, you know, locked down and secure. But it's, the data was gone. They had already exfiltrated it. And, and literally within minutes, once, once they got it, they were using it and they're very, very quick, especially with financial data, because it gets, gets old. People realize that cards are you know, compromised and they'll, they'll call and counsel them. And so they move very, very fast. They're, they're very good at what they do. How do they manage to replicate the cards so fast to get the cash? Um, I didn't see it on, on that end, how they did it. Um, yeah. But I, what I will say is that they had to be professionals and they had to have done it um, um, many times before because they they had everything that they needed. We actually spoke to um, you know you know, we were able to see you could see the transaction and they made those cards and you know they and on top of that you can go to like gas stations and things you can go really quickly they don't have as much verification. So this was again about about seven eight years ago. Um, things have gotten a lot better as far as stopping those types of attacks, but. Um, yeah, I haven't. I, I'm not an expert on how to do the criminal side of it. So I can't tell you exactly what they did. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I was just wondering because it's a really, really interesting case. I mean, I've uh, um, I knew that obviously uh, they can hack you and uh, the the bank details and everything, but I was not sure how they're moving the money. So it was very interesting to hear that um, they can 
replicate the card and use the um, a pin that was stolen to get cash, for example, from ATMs or make some purchases. Um, with regard to that, I mean, now a, a lot of the um, cyber crimes are linked also with cryptocurrencies. Do, do you have any views on that, um, how they're um, linked and uh, are cryptocurrencies really used or not for more uh, mal malicious purposes like uh, cyber crimes? And ransomware. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, to pivot from the attack scenario I gave you, what is interesting about that type of attack, um, we don't see that very often anymore. Because think mm -hmm. about it, they and, and I, I know that you know bank security has gotten much better um, over the last you know you know five to seven years or so, but you don't see that anymore because think about it, if I steal credit card data and I gotta sell it online or make a card or whatever, when I could actually just ransom that same company. So it used to be, you know, I think about when I first started, um, the, the hacks that we would see would be really basic, like defacing websites and all that. Um, nobody does that anymore unless it's some type of hacktivism. So that went away very long time ago, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Then, then they turned into, uh, you know, your, your target, your, your Home Depot, you know, type of hacks you know, stealing of that type of data and, and also stealing per, uh, personal data. But now we're in the world of ransomware and with ransomware it, with Bitcoin as well um, is very hard to trace, um, trace it back in, in, and get your money back. But it's interesting with uh, the Colonial Pipeline hack where, where Darkseid, um, I think it was a, the group that uh, I guess is re reportedly the one that did it, um, the, the U.S. government was able to get uh, a portion of it back. Now, they didn't say exactly how they did it, but they, they alluded that some cyber criminals don't have uh, good security um, on, on their um, you know, Bitcoin account. So from what I can understand, they actually were able to crack the password uh, and, and get in that way. So that's that's pretty interesting that you know the the government was able to hack back and, and get some money back from that hack, um, and so the the joke that was that cyber criminals even don't have good security practices, um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but um, just circling back to Bitcoin and and cryptocurrency, it's all brand new and is not well regulated at all, so that is a perfect scenario for a a cyber criminal to to live in that space and and do um, you know malicious attacks. The other thing which is interesting is that you take take all these cryptocurrencies, the companies are the new companies are popping up and, and building business models around it. They don't have great cybersecurity. They're startups. They aren't big global banks. They're startups. So they're still trying to figure out their security. And so I think we're going to see more attacks in the fintech space and the um, new cryptocurrency space because these companies don't have great security yet. And, and security is about, you know, in my opinion, is about maturity. You get that over time. You're not going to say, hey, we started two years ago and we're, we're like Fort Knox and very, very secure. That's just not realistic. Uh, when you say these companies in the cryptocurrency space, does it, do you mean the exchanges, the types that are uh, working with fiat and uh, cryptocurrencies? Uh... 
Yeah, I, I've, I've literally, I've, I've talked to a bunch of them in the last month or so, and I've, I've asked around, what is their, what does their security posture look like? And, you know, very few of them have a, a, a chief security officer of any sort, um, have a security program in place. And so um, across the board, they are really exposed, unfortunately, uh, because again, this is something brand new. And I, I can't say that even so, the cybersecurity is 25, 30 years old, we're still learning, you know, how to secure a company better. Um, and, and so when you have brand new companies and, and brand new crypto companies at that, um, it's going to be a challenge. Hmm. That, that, that's true, especially that uh, cryptocurrency interest is growing. And we have seen not only the colonial pipeline uh, hack, which had so many uh, bitcoins uh, taken from uh, the company and such an impact, I guess going forward, the uh, cyber crimes will be more impactful if there is no response from the cybersecurity industry, right? Right, right. Go back to what I said at the beginning. What, what is interesting is that um, the fact that you know, these, these new hacks are coming out, but the cybersecurity industry actually can make more money off of these hacks. I'll never forget um, back, I think it was like 2016, there was a few hacks that, that had come out at that time, um, you know, our company, we made, you know, anywhere from like 10 to 15 million off of a few very large deals because, you know, the purse strings for these companies open up when these, once these hacks started happening. And so if that's the case and you look at the cybersecurity industry where, you know, all these hacks started happening and they're, they're only a response-based, you know, company doing cybersecurity out there, they make all the money off of the hack. So if we end up, stopping the hacks, then a lot of these companies aren't going to make as much money. This is a $150 billion industry right now. Hmm. So do you think that the prevention is still a viable model for companies that, I mean, not for the, obviously for the companies, yes, who wants, who want to have a good system and uh, stop such uh, hacks from happening. But what about the cybersecurity industry? There's, there seems to be no incentive for them to actually stop criminals from um, entering into the company in such way. Yeah, yeah, it, it's interesting. You, think, you take a, a, a typical cybersecurity company that is venture capitalist backed, um, they make a lot of money off of the product multiple and so, um, meaning like if you make a product that's, you know, cloud-based, it could be easily replicated. There is no, you, you aren't um, like, you don't have to add another body, another person um, to it. So your, your margins can go really, really, you know, high with that. So when that's the case, then versus actually, like I said earlier, using people, process, and technology to secure a company, they skip the process and people side of it and they just build the technology and they depend on the end customer to figure out how to get value out of their technology. The problem with that is we've talked about it a lot in the cybersecurity industry and it's the, the shortage of cybersecurity expertise. So if that end customer doesn't have the cybersecurity expertise or may not even have a cybersecurity person, period, then when they buy this product, even if it is the best product in the world, somebody needs to implement, manage, and maintain it. So that is why we're broken. 
Again, the money is made off the product multiple, not off of a services or people multiple. So we're going to, we'd have to cannibalize ourselves as an industry to actually secure our end customers. Um, now, what we've done here at Savitar is to solve that problem is we made cybersecurity a subscription. And so a subscription allows us to continually uh, bring in the right technology, um, have the right team managing um, all of our customers, and it's all for a fixed price um, once a month. Um, and, and so that makes it way easier. So I'm not battling the whole product multiple or the services piece. We make our money off of our customers being secure. Now, you, a lot of people are like, wow, that, that's a good business model, right? And it's the same business mm-hmm. model as, as uh, Uber, right? They don't have any cars, right? They make their money off of actually getting people from point A to point B as fast as they possibly can. And same thing with Airbnb. They don't own any hotels. So it's the same model. We've just applied to cybersecurity and we already know it will work. One, it's working very well for us as a business, but our clients are very, very secure as a result of this you know, pivot to the business model. That sounds great. And how do you see Cyvatar in the future? What, what's the vision? How, how, how do you see it growing? I love that question. Um, Cyvatar has already created a new category in cybersecurity. And, and what, what a lot of the things we do is we, we model ourselves after uh, the Netflix business model, right? Because what Netflix did is they've had a new way for the end consumer to get a movie. Um, and they didn't have content back in 1997 when they first started. They just had a better business model than Blockbuster. And so what cybersecurity, the cybersecurity industry needed was a better business model that actually got a customer um, to an outcome of being secure that they could measure. So Netflix got their customers to uh, an outcome, in their case, is way simpler, of just being able to watch a movie and, and seeing their content, right? And so they have a better way of doing it. I mean, right now, I can pick up my phone, log into my Netflix account, and stream a movie right now. Whereas, you know, 25 years ago, I couldn't do that. I literally would have to go to a store, buy it, put it in a DVD or VCR just to watch a movie. And I couldn't be anywhere. So the world has absolutely changed. The cybersecurity industry needs to change with it. We're still operating in the dark ages. Yeah, that, that's true. So um, because at the end of the show, we always ask about the future predictions how do you see cybercrime evolving? What are some of the trends or um, patterns that financial analysts should look out for in the future, in your view, of course? Yeah, um, it's, I am absolutely always an optimist, but in the short term, cybercrime is going to get a lot worse. And here's, here's why. It's just too easy. It's too easy to go online and Google search for ransomware as a service. And literally, if I wanted to be a malicious hacker, all I have to do is supply the email addresses um, to a company and, and then it will feed into the system. Or you can have a, um, a phishing type of campaign, super easy, it's really simple. And the thing with phishing and ransomware types of attacks or whatever, all you need is one. You just need one person to click that is administrator has access to something. And then you off to the races from there. 
And these things have been automated. There are toolkits out there that automate the pretty much the whole attack scenario. And then next thing you know, you just have money deposited in your um, Bitcoin account. Um, so, you know, with it being that easy, and us on the 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 um, cybersecurity industry um, side of it not pivoting fast enough to take care of you know the the needs of the end customer base because we're making so much money off of them being hacked. Um, things will get worse before they get better. The good news is, you know, there, there's, there's, there's our company, there's a bunch of other companies out there that are focused on getting the customer secure, actually making money off of a secured customer versus a customer that is just getting alerts. And so I'm going to see more competition in this type of business model in the future. But before that happens, things got to get worse. And, and then that will force the change. Yeah, that that's very interesting. And just before we go, I uh, I have one last question for you. Um, you know, in companies, oftentimes we do trainings about cybersecurity and um, how not to click on malicious emails, etc. Do you think this is an efficient way to um, educate people on cybersecurity or? Is there any recommendation that you would make for training, reading, staying on top of the you know, trend before it actually hits you, before you receive that email that you won a lottery or something? I don't know. Um, I love that question. I'm answering it a couple of different ways. Um, you take me, for example. Um, I probably get, I don't know, 40, 50 you know, phishing emails a day. And we have really good filters, right? And we filter through them. But again, you know, these, these people, you know, they can make it look like a real email, right? And so I saw a couple of them looking like Office 365. Um, so first and foremost, education has to be a foundation of your security program. Um, but there's no silver bullet here, right? Just because if you, if you educate everybody, then you can't assume that nobody's going to click on them because there's some really good, um, you know, phishing campaigns and attacks. And the other problem that we have, and I'm sorry to be a downer here, but this is going to get worse. Instead of people sending phishing just to your email, we we're seeing it on, on LinkedIn. We're doing, you know, text messaging. We're seeing it all over social media and Facebook. And so there are malicious links everywhere that we're focusing kind of just on email and unfortunately, the, the hackers have pivoted to other attack vectors because everybody's on some form of social media. So again, this is another case where uh, things are going to get worse before they get better. Uh, we as an industry in the cybersecurity industry, we have to catch up. We have to educate um, you know, our customers better on it. Educate and the second part is have better enforcement. And so, you know, we, there are a few tools out there that we like that, that really, really um, stop uh, phishing or alert that that is a bad link across, you know, multiple platforms. And that's what we use for our customers is we use those tools because it isn't just email. It is other things and other platforms that you have to worry about. Like I said, you know, you can click on the link in Twitter and get compromised, LinkedIn, Facebook, so on and so forth. And so all these attack vectors are increasing as new ways to attack people. 
That's fantastic. I, I am now going to go through all my <laughs> social media and see all the links that I'm not going to click on. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for today and for your time and for um, the, the cases and the information that you provided. Um, before we go, can you please just share where can people reach you, maybe on LinkedIn or uh, on the company website? Yeah, absolutely. You can find us at savitar.ai. Uh, you also can find me um, on LinkedIn. I would probably just go to the Savitar page in LinkedIn. You'll find me and my co-founder, uh, Craig Goodwin there. Uh, please follow us. We're sharing you know, tips, tricks. Uh, we're doing a roadshow that is you know, taking us really all over the United States. Uh, and we try our best to find good outside venues because of covid but we, last night we were in um, London. We had a very good event. Um, last week we were in New York City. Next week we will be in Dallas, Texas. All these events are on savitar.ai on our events page. You can find us there. But I really, really appreciate you taking time. And these were fantastic questions. Hopefully I gave some really good tips to the financial industry on how to secure themselves and, and make sure that they're not, not the next victim of the attack that is coming. Yeah, I, I surely hope so, because there's so many, there's so much danger on the internet. <laughs> Thank you again. And uh, hope we'll speak soon. Thank you for listening to Compliance Time. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave us a review which will help others to find the podcast. Also, you can subscribe for email updates on our website cmpltime.com. And don't forget to check out our new blog. Thank you. Till next week.